Welcome to the November 14th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18, and the sermon is entitled, Joy Outside a Tomb, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. Take your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20. You know, we move forward in this study. Uh, last week, we finished chapter 19, which gave us a detailed description of the trials and the crucifixion and the death and the burial of Jesus the Christ. We see that culminate in chapter 19. But let me ask you this. If the gospel of John ended at chapter 19 with the death and the burial of Jesus, what would we have? Where would we be if the gospel ended there? we would have the account of a perfect man who died a sacrificial, admirable death. But if Jesus today still laid in his tomb, we would have no hope of life ever again. We would have nothing to truly be joyful for because this life would end it all if Jesus still laid in his tomb. Jesus' death might help us rest in peace, But there'd be no promise to rising to life again if the Gospel of John ended at chapter 19. If John ended with chapter 19, we close this book unfulfilled. No hope, no joy, no future. Here's the way Paul puts it. If you want to write this scripture down, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Just hear these words. Just take them in. Listen. Here's what Paul says to the church at Corinth. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith also vain. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain and are yet still in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ... We are of all men most miserable. If the gospel of John ended at chapter 19, we of all people would be most miserable. This sermon would be in vain, Paul says. But praise God today, we open chapter 20. The resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Life springs from death. Hope springs from grief. And the door of heaven swings wide open to every man, woman, boy, or girl who will put his or her faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's true for we who are here in this little community of Clifford. It's true for the United States. It's true for every country and every believer in the world. The door of of heaven swings open because of John chapter 20 and the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Do I hear an amen? Praise God that we study that today. Well, let's dive into the events on this Sunday morning after the Friday of the cross. I'm going to read this in two portions, so keep your Bible open. Go to John chapter 20. Let me first read to you uh, verses 1 through 10. Hear these words from the gospel writer, inspired, inerrant, filled with the power of God. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, into the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away 
the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulcher, and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Keep your Bible open. We'll continue on from there. Look again at verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Mary Magdalene, she loved, she followed, she ministered to Jesus and his team as they took the gospel into the countrysides. Now, it says here that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, and she was obviously alone. Now, the three other gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, say that Mary and some other women came to the sepulcher that morning. I believe that is absolutely true. I believe that it is still a fact that could be borne out through the gospel of John. But why does John mention her alone? I believe it's simply because she came earlier than the others who would join her there. She loved the Lord so much that she just wanted a few private moments at the graveside of Jesus, the one whom she loved so deeply and who had spoken her name so many times. The other women did come, but Mary's love for Jesus was so deep that she came first, extra early, to have those few moments, even though it was completely dark. Well, this group of women had agreed that they were going to come to complete the burial of Jesus. If you remember from last week's sermon on Good Friday, when Jesus died on the cross, the Sabbath day and Passover was coming, and everything on that Friday had to cease for the Sabbath rest and the celebration of Passover to begin. So by 6 o'clock, everything had to be done, including the work of crucifixion and burial of the criminals. 3 o'clock, Jesus died. And so Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea boldly asked Pilate for the body of Jesus, and they buried him very hastily. They buried him with dignity. They buried him with love. They buried him with an extra amount of spices, as the Israelites did with their dead. But they had to bury him quickly before 6 o'clock, and the Sabbath began. So these women came to the tomb on Sunday morning after the Sabbath was over. When the Sabbath rest was completed, they had the freedom to come back to the sepulcher, and they wanted to complete the burial. They didn't know how they were going to do that, I don't believe, because the tomb was sealed. But somehow they came with the hope and the desire that they wanted to finish the dignity of the burial process for Jesus the Christ. Mary came so early, still dark, but she could see one thing. She could see that the stone had been moved from the opening of the grave. That's all she knew. 
And her, thir- her first thought was not, he is risen. Her first thought was, he's been stolen. The dead body, the corpse of Jesus has been stolen out of his tomb. Somebody rolled aside the rock and stole his body away. Well, if you remember, again, last week's sermon in John 19, verse 41, it notes that the tomb of Jesus was very near to the crucifixion grounds where he died. John is the only gospel writer who tells us that the tomb was very close to the crucifixion ground. But that meant that the tomb was outside of the city of Jerusalem, as was the crucifixion area. They had to leave the city and go to that place for crucifixion, and also we learn for Jesus' burial. So she's outside of town. She knows that Jesus is not in his tomb. She thinks he's been stolen, so she sprints back into Jerusalem, knowing exactly where Peter and John are, and she comes to them, and she breathlessly tells them, Jesus has been taken out of his own tomb. She's not bringing them good news. She's bringing them words of alarm that he's been taken away by thieves. And so Peter and John have their own race back to the burial ground. I love these little words that John writes down. By the way, you know, John never refers to himself as John in his own gospel. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So Peter and John have their own race going out of Jerusalem, out of the city, to the burial site of Jesus. And it's so interesting to me, I love this, that that John notes in his gospel, I outran Peter. I think that's a little bit of a macho statement from John. (laughs) I beat him. I got there first. I love that. Men love competition. It was true 2,000 years ago. It's true still today. I wish I had been able to run with Jeffrey. We'd have seen who'd have won. I think think I'd known. In fact, when he gets my age, he'll say, I started out on a fast walk this morning. But John gets there first. And he doesn't go into the tomb. He stands outside of the tomb. Now, remember that the tomb opening is about four feet tall. It's not tall enough for a man or a woman to walk in standing up. It's stoop-down height. And that's exactly what John does. He stoops down. While he's still by himself, Peter's coming, but he's not there yet. So John stoops down, and he looks into the tomb, and he sees the linen grave clothes lying there. And they're not torn, and they're not scattered as they would have normally been had thieves broken in and hastily stolen the body of Jesus. They'd have ripped off the clothes and scattered them all over that tomb site to take his body out. That wasn't the case at all. But when John looked in, it was very orderly, very neat. What he sees is the linen clothes lying like Jesus had simply lifted up through them And they settled back down with no body there. Kind of a strange sight for him to see. How did that happen? That the grave clothes weren't really disturbed. They just laid there with no body in them. Well, by that time, Peter chugs up. (laughs) He finally makes it. And, of course, you know, true to the character of Peter, he just charges into the tomb. 
He doesn't stoop to look in from the outside. He wants evidence by going inside. And John follows behind him as both of these disciples then go into the tomb. There lie the linen clothes. Also, there's the napkin cloth that is laid over the face of the deceased. And it hadn't been ripped off and thrown into a corner. It was folded and neatly laid over to the side. If Jesus was stolen... This tomb would have been a scattered mess. And yet it's neat. And it's clean. Definitely not the scene of a thievery. It appeared pre-planned. It appeared cleaned up like it was supposed to have happened. Now you know that Jesus had told the disciples that he would rise from the dead. Jesus told his disciples many times that he would rise from the dead. Early in his ministry, back in John chapter 2, Jesus cleansed the temple of money changers. And in John chapter 2, at the very beginning of his ministry, at the very beginning of his relationship with his disciples, he says this. You can write this reference down. You can flip over if you'd like. John chapter 2, verse 19 says this. This is at the cleansing of the temple. Jesus answered, said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And then skip down to verse 21. But he spake of the temple of his body. Not the physical temple building standing there, but the temple of his own body. When therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. So Jesus had told these disciples from the very beginning of his ministry, the day is going to come when I'm going to rise from the dead. But the disciples hadn't gotten it yet. The disciples hadn't been enlightened by the Holy Spirit to understand that yet. As Peter and John stand outside of that empty tomb, I want you to notice what John says in verse 9. Look at John 20, verse 9. For as yet they knew not the Scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So as we look at that verse, as we see what John says here, the disciples didn't have, didn't know the scripture that Jesus indeed was going to rise again. But today we know it. Today we know it because of experience and we know it because we have it right here in God's black and white. In the perfect, inerrant Word of God, it tells us that Jesus rose again, and we believe that. It is the centerpiece of all that we have and all that we believe and all of our mission effort and every outreach to the lost. It is the centerpiece of all that we have. Jesus rose to life again. Praise God. Hallelujah for that. Now, I want to I lead you, uh, first of all, in a statement that John makes about himself. Look at verse 8 very quickly. John 20, verse 8. Then went in also that other disciple, he's speaking of himself, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. So the light was coming on for John that this wasn't thievery, it was life again. The light was beginning for John to come on. As John comes to that tomb again, he sees the grave close, and he knows that Jesus indeed is risen again. Now, I want to do a, a, a very quick little word study. This is a word study that I had not known of through 40, 50 years of reading the Gospel of John. I want to bring it to your attention because it's so very important. 
I want you to look at verse 5 of John chapter 20. Now this is John looking into the tomb. Verse 5. And he stooping down and looking in saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Circle the word saw. The Greek word there in that verse for saw is blepo. And basically that word simply means that he gave it a glance, that he perceived it with his eyes, that he saw the grave clothes. That's simple, the simple word. I saw it. It went through my perception. I saw it. Now I want you to look at verse 8 of John chapter 20. Then went in that also that other disciple, again, this is John, which came in first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. Circle the word saw again. It's a different Greek word. As John comes into the tomb, Scripture says he saw the grave clothes, but this time the Greek word saw is idon, and it means I saw it, and it changed my life. When I saw it, I knew that this was an act of God Almighty, and it changed my heart and who I am when I saw that. So one word says, I gave it a passing glance. The other word says, and the, the, what I saw changed my life. Two completely different Greek words. Greek is such an expressive language. Isn't it amazing? Three little, word, little letters in that word, saw. But it says a whole lot about what we believe. It brings about a very important question. How do you, how do you personally, how do you see Jesus? Is it just with a glance? Is it just in and out? Know his name? Hear it in a sermon and it's gone? Or do you see Jesus in a way that has changed your life? in a way that has brought you salvation and grace and eternal life. How do you see Jesus? Passing glance or he's changed your life? It's the same principle with John and with me and with you. No matter if you're here in the sanctuary or in another country of the world, it's the same principle. How do you see Jesus? Much of the world sees Jesus just at a glance. One look and he's gone. One mention of his name in one ear, out the other, he's gone. But have you seen him in such a way that he's changed your life? That he's given you life everlasting? That he's given you that joy and that hope that we can approach him at any time, day or night, and he's with us and he loves us and he walks with us? Has he changed your life? Have you seen him in that way? How important a question that is. That should be our vision that he's changed us inwardly and working outwardly, the transformation of life. Well, after these two disciples then... See, the evidence of Jesus not in the tomb, they make their way home. But now John, the gospel writer, turns the camera back, and he puts it on Mary. She obviously had followed Peter and John back to the sepulcher after she had gone into town and told them what she had seen. They run to the sepulcher. She's following along behind. She arrives sometime in that scene. Peter and John go home, but Mary's still there. The other ladies had not arrived yet. They're coming. They're not there yet. She's alone. Still early in the morning and still alone, I want you to look at verse 11. John chapter 20. Let's move on. Verse 11. 
But Mary stood without at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. May God bless these precious words. Mary alone was weeping. The Greek word for weeping here indicates that she was sobbing loudly. She was overcome by grief as she stood outside of that tomb thinking that somebody had taken the body of Jesus away. Peter and John were gone. She was alone again, and all of this grief swept over her. But even through her tears, she does what John did. She stooped down to that little four-foot opening and looked in. And when she looked into that tomb, she saw two angels sitting there on that slab of death, each end of the grave clothes, two angels there. Now, I want to interject this Old Testament connection. For those of you who are students of the Old Testament, I'm sure you remember the mercy seat of Israel. The mercy seat is described in Exodus chapter 25, verses 17 through 21. That's the lid that sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant of God. That gold box that Israel carried with them, symbolic of the presence of God with them. Remember, they could not touch the box. They carried it with poles. It was so holy. The lid that sat on top of that box is called the mercy seat of Israel. On that lid, on that mercy seat in the Old Testament is the image of two angels, one on each end. The lid sits on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and I want you to hear these words. Exodus chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. Listen to what these words say in, from the Old Testament. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. Now listen, verse 22. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony. In the Old Testament, the lid of the ark 
of the holiness of God with two angels on each side. Mary now in the New Testament looks inside and sees two angels on a slab of death. And I want you to understand, ladies and gentlemen, this is the new mercy seat of the Bible. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is where God meets us. This is where God communes with us. Through His Son who lives and who is the intercessor for us, who is the forgiver of sins and the giver of life, there's where God meets us with His living Son. That empty stone slab where the body of Jesus had lain with an angel on each end is the mercy seat. And He meets us there. He meets us there in the moment of salvation. When you or I, whoever you are, wherever you are, when you say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner, the Bible tells me so. All of us sin and fall short of the glory of God, according to Romans 3.23. I am a sinner, and my sin has created a chasm between you and me, God. But I believe that Jesus, your Son, the perfect Lamb, died a sacrificial death on that old rugged cross to take my sin there. And so, Lord Jesus... I give you my life as my Savior. I believe that you have forgiven me of sin by your sacrifice on the cross. But not only do I believe that you died on a cross for me, I believe that you rose from the grave for me that I might have life everlasting. Life in the life that I live day by day, we shine with the eternal life of Jesus as we walk in this world today, ladies and gentlemen. There's something different about a child of God walking in the world. Don't ever forget that. It's not... What you do, you don't have a halo over your head, nor do I. But there's something about a child of God walking in the world that is noticed because he lives in us. But then through that mercy seat of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he says, and I'm going to give you a home forever. I'm going to give you a place with me forever. The two angels ask Mary, why do you weep? And again, Mary confirms that she doesn't know about the resurrection yet. She says, I believe that they've taken Jesus away. They've taken my Lord. From behind her, a man speaks. Why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And she thinks it's the common gardener, the guy who dresses up the community of the dead, the guy who trims the weeds, Just makes it look good. She says, if you've moved him, sir, tell me where you have put him. And I will take charge and I will move him. But as Mary looks at this figure, she still does not know him. Maybe it's still dark. Maybe her eyes are so filled with tears she can't recognize him. Maybe the resurrection body is such that we don't immediately recognize the person. Although I believe Personally, I believe we'll be very recognizable in heaven. You're going to know me, I'm going to know you. We're going to meet a lot of people, but I'm going to know you. When I run into you, I'm going to know you. I believe there's something very similar about the resurrection body and the body we are right now. Right now, we're in a pretty imperfect body, but that perfect body is going to look somewhat like this body. That's what I believe. But she didn't immediately recognize him. But this we know. She immediately knew who he was. When he said one word, Mary. 
She had heard her name through the lips of Jesus the Christ hundreds of times. And you remember in John chapter 10, Jesus says, My sheep know my voice. When he spoke to her, she knew exactly who it was. She knew it was Jesus alive. And she calls him Rabboni. Now, you want to make this note. From the teachers of Israel, those who taught the Word of God, there were three titles. The first is Rab, R-A-B. It means a teacher of the Word. The second is Rabbi, a greater teacher of the Word. The third is Rabboni, which is the master teacher of the Word. So she calls him Master, Teacher, Lord, God. And for her next move, this is so interesting to me, you remember that she reaches for him. Have you ever watched The Price is Right or Let's Make a Deal? I remember all my sick days from school as a kid watching Let's Make a Deal. Well, when those contestants win a boat or a couch or a car or a refrigerator, you know, they just jump up and down and hoop and holler. And if you ever notice, most of them reach for the host and they want to hug him. (laughs) They're so happy. They're so joyful. They just want to grab hold of the guy and give him a hug. Well, in the very same way, it's unspoken, but it's very evident here that Mary is absolutely overwhelmed with joy And she reaches for Jesus. She can't help it. Look at verse 17. Jesus saith unto her, as she reaches to him, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. Basically what Jesus is saying is don't try to hold me here. Don't try to keep me here. Don't wrap your arms around me and believe you're going to hold me. Because I'm going to ascend back to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. But he says, I want you to go tell the disciples that I am going to go back to my Father very soon. He's implying he's going to see them before he goes, but it's not going to be long. And Mary does go. And she tells the disciples of this account of seeing the risen Lord, the one whom she thought was not only dead but also stolen, and yet she now knows he is risen again. I'd I'd love to know how Mary tells the disciples, wouldn't you? And I've, I've often thought in so many instances of the Bible, I hope when I get to heaven that the Lord God will roll back the tape and let me hear some of these things. I'd love to hear the, the, the angel telling Mary about a, a new son. I'd love to hear how Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus. I'd love to hear how Mary tells the disciples that Jesus is alive. You know, the pinnacle of her account is this. I have seen the Lord. And obviously there's joy there, not grief. The living resurrected Jesus is the necessity of every one of the four Gospels. Every one of the four Gospels has the account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, serving Him as Lord and seeing Him as the Savior is the necessity of every single person on earth. No matter the shade of skin, no matter the nation of birth, no matter the depth of sin, Jesus the Savior is a necessity for every single person on earth. 
That is his message. That is our message. But as today I close this indescribable scene, the climax of faith, let me say this. All of us have let's make a deal moments in life. You know one of my favorite things to do? Order a new guitar. I love to order a new guitar. I've already got my eye on one. Gwen doesn't know it yet. But when that box comes, it's like, it's here. I can't wait to, to open that box. I think I even jump up and down and hug Gwen when the box comes. We all have those let's make a deal moments. All of us have those joys in our life. It's buying a new car or moving to a new home or welcoming a new baby into the family or whatever it might be, those wow, excited moments of life. We ought to have the jump up and down, hug somebody moments. But listen, nothing, nothing can or should exceed our joy of knowing Jesus as our Savior. It is the greatest blessing of your and my life He's the one eternal relationship we will have. And knowing Him as our Lord and our Savior is the greatest relationship in all of the world. We need to run to Him. We need to express our joy in having Him. He wants to walk with you. He wants to love you. He wants to save you. He wants to have eternal life with you. <laughs> he wants me. He wants you. Praise God we can give our life to Him as our Lord and our Savior. Believers, live in that joy. Live in the joy that He knows your name. I believe one of the first things that you and I will hear in heaven is our name spoken in the lips of Jesus Christ. And I pray right after our name is spoken, we'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But we'll recognize Him because the sheep know the shepherd. And we'll know that's His voice. Believers, live in that joy that he knows your name. And live in that joy so deeply that you want to pass it to somebody else. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, you're going to pass his love to somebody else. You're going to be a witness to bring somebody else to him. I don't think you can conceal news like that. Not one of us can conceal that news. All of us are witnesses to the living Lord Jesus Christ. Go from this place as a witness of his. So that this world can come to know him as Lord and Savior. That is our position in life. That is the reason the Lord allows us to wake up every morning that we might serve him, love him, and give his name to somebody else. The joy of life is knowing Jesus. Tell that to a friend. Raise your children, young parents. Raise your children in that joy. For those in my category... Teach your grandchildren that joy. A friend who's very important to you, make sure that he or she knows that joy. Friends, I pray that we will rededicate our life today. I have seen the Lord, and I want to share him with somebody else. As I close this, if you've never come to Jesus as Savior, let me tell you this. He knows you. Wherever you are in the world, he knows you. He knows your circumstance. He knows your joys. He knows your needs. And Jesus went to a cruel cross and he died there and he rose from the grave because he loves you. He loves you. And at this moment, he's calling your name.
And if you will listen closely, you will hear your name and you'll feel the knock on your heart that he's asking to come in. Today, I pray that you will see him, not with just eye perception, but you'll see him so that he changes your life and that you come to him as Savior today. Don't put it off till tomorrow, next month, next year, when you're old. Do it now. Do it today. Lord Jesus, I see you as my Savior. You come. Praise God, I assure you today, right now, he's calling your name. Will you say yes to him? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these precious moments, Lord, as we celebrate once again Easter Sunday. Father, thank you for these words of hope and promise and joy, Lord. Mary expressed a joy when she said, I have seen the Lord, as she reached for the Lord. I pray, Father, that we will have that same joy in our life of knowing you, not in one ear and out the other, passing glance. Yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I'll be back next week. I pray, Father, you change your life. I pray that we see you with our heart, that we see you as our Lord and our Savior and our God and our King, the one who walks with us every single minute of the day. Bless us to rededicate our lives to the joy of knowing you. I pray for that one today, Father, who needs Jesus as Savior. I pray he or she today, maybe they've heard your name, maybe they've seen you on the pages of Scripture over and over and over again, but today I pray they see you so that you change their life. To see you as the Savior of the cross, the Savior who rose from the grave, that we might have forgiveness and eternal life. I pray for one today to see you in that way. Church home, whatever the need, bless us in these moments in Jesus' name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.